For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Learning the skills of connection and influence in American companies and Western societies are paramount to moving up, if, if moving up is what you want to do. It's not that Asians lack social skills. Asians have social skills, but they're social skills that are optimized for other societies. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. How do you talk to white people? Why don't many Asians speak up in meetings? Kaboom! I hope that grabbed your attention because those questions that led the first emails that I received from my amazing guest today says it all. They're at once both bold and arresting, funny, real, and the truth. What many non-white people face, maybe when they're growing up in the U.S., to when, let's face it, when they reach the upper ranks in corporate America. Because the truth is Asian Americans are kind of doing well, but often, perhaps because of the model minority and the very much heads-down ethic, they're often left out of the discussion on race and inclusion in America. As the Pan-Asian Leadership Group Ascend Foundation wrote in a report several years ago, Asians in the States are the first to get hired, but they're the last to get promoted. And when it comes to Asian women, the numbers are even grimmer, despite the fact that they are disproportionately scooping up and gathering all the advanced degrees. What is going on? What's an Asian American got to do to break through the glass ceiling in the States? My guest today is the one and only Joy Chen, CEO of the Multicultural Leadership Institute, the MLI. She's sharp and tough as nails while incredibly charming and funny. The MLI seeks to level the playing field by helping Asian Americans get ahead, and corporations and organizations in America become more inclusive, harnessing their diverse talent that makes America great, those are my words, and crush it on the bottom line. I've invited Joy to talk about Asian American advancement in a frank, conversational, thoughtful, but really productive way today. And what I love about Joy is that 
Yes, same with me. We recognize imbalances and bias exist in the corporate world, but she's very, again, my words, Chinese pragmatic about how we can address this from two angles, both from helping Asian Americans better navigate corporate America, what might they be missing, what are unspoken rules, but also helping leadership teams and boards of major companies who want to help but maybe don't know exactly how to create more inclusive workplaces, which let's put aside the very important moral issue here, but we also know diverse teams get much better on the bottom line results. In her work, Joy pays close attention to the social science research and evidence, also very practical, how do we operationalize things, and what works. Uh, we're going to talk about her career. I think she exemplifies a lot of the things that you need to do to accelerate your career, but also then how she helps others do that who are coming from very different contexts. She's also good at doing that in a way that doesn't make us feel threatened or attacked, but challenges some of our thinking and makes us realize we don't always have to change our identity to do that. Joy's got the creds also. She served at a very young age as the former deputy mayor of Los Angeles. She served as principal at Hydric and Struggles with leaders in executive search, doing placements. And then she went to China, where she became a massive smash hit and a keynote speaker through her bestsellers, Do Not Marry Before Age 30, and How to Get Lucky in Your Career. She's been profiled in the Wall Street Journal, Economist, CNN, and she holds a bachelor's from Duke University and an MBA and master's in urban planning from UCLA. She resides with her family in California. Joy, a pleasure to have you as a guest today. Welcome to 97% Effective. Oh, it's great to be with you, Michael, and with everyone out there. It's been, you know, you never know where life takes you. It's been an incredibly wild and lucky ride for me so far. Yeah, you've had an amazing career. And, and, and in some ways in our topic today, you are just getting started. Uh-huh. You are all on the internet, particularly the Chinese internet, okay, which, which dwarfs <laughs> the English language speaking one. A lot of people don't know about that. But what is one thing we wouldn't be able to find searching about you that you'd like us to know? Well, how about that I have... 30 pets at my house now. <laughs> We've got 12 chickens. We've got uh, two cats, one guinea pig. We're about to foster a couple of guinea pigs for our friends and a um, whole bunch of fish and snails. So we have basically got a menagerie here at my home. But we do get a lot of fresh eggs, which are very valuable these days. It's indeed a full house that you've got there. Since we're both fluent in Mandarin, we will be doing this podcast in English. We may be switching uh, between the languages. But the Chinese language is so rich, and there are expressions, idioms, four words that are, that are packed in that have multiple layers of meaning. And I thought it would be interesting to just get a sense, is there one that you feel like represents you or your work? Yeah, there is an idiom, which I think is really very beautiful and fun, called Sai Wang Shima Yan Fei Fu. And it means Sai Wang is old man. Old man Sai lost his horse. How do you know it's not a blessing? And it goes like this. Uh, one day, old man Sai lost his horse and all the villagers came around to console him. But he was not sad. He said, well, how do you know it's not a blessing? Months later, the horse returned, bringing with it an even better and faster horse. And all the villagers came around and said, wow, you're so lucky, let's celebrate. And he said, 
how do you know it's not a curse? Well, his son loved to ride the new horse. And one day he was riding and he fell off and he broke his leg. And the villagers came around and said, oh, we're so sorry about your son. But then the northern barbarians or, you know, other countries came and invaded. And all the young men were called up to war. And the son's lives and most of those young men died. And his son's life was saved because of his broken leg. And the story goes on and on, but I think you get the idea. It's really about how things that happen in your life, you know, we immediately assign, oh, that's such an awesome thing, or, oh, that's so awful. But if you look at it in the long term, you may find that things that you think are really horrible, looking back, might not be such a bad thing at all. And I guess at this point, you know, I look back at all the things that made me mad or sad or furious or heartbroken in the moment did not turn out to be such a bad thing at all, including a lot of things in my career. You listed off a lot of accomplishments in my career, but you didn't, you didn't um, get into all of the um, heartbreak and disappointments and frustrations that led to those highs. So, old man, Sai lost his horse. How do you know it's not a blessing? That is a, that is a great idiom. And yes, we do look at the accolades, but we're going to look at some of those, those heartbreaks. I'm glad you brought that up. Can I just bring up one more thing? I recently read that a major philanthropist, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, she named her philanthropy Lost Horse. And I just read it was because of this, because of this Chinese idiom. We'll start to talk about your career ascent and not just the, the, the parts that we hear about, but, but the, the pieces, those heartbreaks that, that, that you refer to. And if we go back to, to, to childhood, much of things are, are rooted in childhood. And you talk about a Chinese American girl growing up in a very white community, some of the awkwardness, the names being othered there. And, and for those out there who may not be familiar with it, right, Chinese Americans often called bananas. They are yellow on the outside, white on the inside. And, and so you've talked about that. You talked about when we talked personally about this fitting in and not fitting in, this idea of code switching, mm -hmm. covering. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, the benefit of that to you at that time, but also the cost? I think it very much marks some of your early years. Sure. I remember growing up, you know, my parents had saved and sacrificed to buy a house in a good school district for me and my brother. And that meant that we were the oddball Chinese kids in a school that was almost all white. Now, this was the 1970s. And Asian Americans now are 6 7% of the U.S. population. By the time, we're only 1%. And so we were kind of weird, and um, according to the other kids. And so people would make fun of the tsong yu bing, you know, or other dumplings or things that I brought for lunch. And I just, like, with all of that, I guess now we call them microaggressions. We didn't have a word for them at the time. But just all these little incoming slights um, and bee stings. I got to a point where I just really wanted to fit in, right? I just wanted to be white. And I had this recurring dream that the next day I would wake up and my entire life had been a mistake. And I would have blonde hair and blue eyes and live in a big house. And then finally the other kids would like me. And so I think that um, with that kind of 
um, experience, I just really wanted to learn how to talk to white people because, <laughs> you know, the way that my parents, you know, we were all very, very kind of isolated. Um, my, my parents' entire social life was around this Chinese church. And so it was like, um, we were, they were very religious. And so it was like Sunday, six hours a day, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, you know, hours, hours and evening would be together in Bible studies, prayer meetings, et cetera, et cetera, with these Chinese immigrants. So I just really wanted to fit in with the other kids at school. And so I started really studying the white kids around me and saying like, how do they tell jokes? How do they relate to each other? How could they be so carefree? Like, I always wondered how could white kids be so carefree and fun and funny? And so I started copying them and I got to be really good. You know, I really struggled to connect with the kids around me and had many humiliating encounters. But then over time, I got to be, that kind of became my superpower, <laughs> talking to white people or connecting with people around me. And that superpower led me to be appointed deputy mayor of Los Angeles at age 31 it led me to become an executive search consultant, finding CEOs and head uh, CEOs and board members of Fortune 500 companies, and that all became part of that connection superpower. But over time, what happened was that I got so good at connecting with other people and hiding my Chineseness that I really got kind of lost by the time I was about forty. I was really exhausted and burned out inside, even though on the outside it looked super successful. Yeah, that, that, that cost, that, that part of being your superpower is very interesting because there's a lot of parallels. Myself growing up, mixed, mm. I'm half Chinese, but this of, of going to Chinese school and as we'd go out in public with my Chinese grandparents of being very, very self-conscious about that. And being a chameleon of sorts, but, but thinking a lot as yeah. you get into your 30s and 40s of, of the cost of that executive search, that for seven years, you did the choosing. You were putting people in very powerful positions. And if you could go back in time there and look at it, like what were you looking for? What were you trying to identify that these were the people that should be in power and should be in influential positions? Yeah, well, I think that when you think about a company, an organization, right? It's a pyramid. And you got a lot of people at the bottom, like worker bees, or we could call them individual contributors. And then you've got a layer above that, the managers, managers of the worker bees, we call them managers. The people who manage the managers, we call them directors, you know, maybe vice president, SVP, EVP, CEO. Um, and every organization might have different titles, but essentially it's the similar kind of structure. And the main thing is that at the very bottom level, the worker bee level, our lives are quite similar to our lives when we're students, right? Someone gives us assignments, a teacher or a boss, we do a good job, we turn it in, and they, you know, they rate them, evaluate them, and give us more assignments. But the higher up we want to move, the less our job becomes less about doing the work and more about connecting with and motivating other people to do the work. And then by the time your CEO, or I'm looking for a CEO, I'm looking for someone who can deeply connect with not just the people below them, but, you know, just the individuals below them, but, you know, can speak effectively to their entire employee base. 
can work with suppliers, you know, uh, with the entire media, the general public, and represent and personify the company. So learning the skills of connection and influence in American companies and Western societies are paramount to moving up if, if moving up is what you want to do. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. I mean, what were you specifically looking for? Because you get an interview, how do you know someone's good at influence? Well, I think that, first of all, when I was having conversations, I would always be, you know, I being a CEO headhunter, I kind of learned to both connect and have a conversation with somebody, but then also kind of step outside of myself and be evaluating this person, you know, so actually I would be taking two columns of notes. One is on the left side, what the person is saying and answers my question. And the other is a running evaluation of how I feel this person is coming across and how effectively are they connecting and influencing and coming up with all these other skills. Now in every job, every, every different search, we would be looking at some specific things. Let's say it's a company that wants to expand into European markets. We might be looking for things in the resume of this person have a specific technical background um, that the company needs or has certain markets that they need to enter. So all of those things, let's just say, are specific to every different search. But the one thing that we were looking for um, across all searches is this idea of kind of instantly being able to make that emotional connection, right? So because essentially people buy, whether it's products or, you know, Give, your, give you their attention. These are emotional decisions. And I think that a lot, of, um, a lot of us become very good at conveying information, especially, you know, many of us who are Asian, maybe we're highly educated, we're used to consuming and reading a lot of information, writing a lot of information. A lot of us are good at conveying information. But what we're also looking for is a deep, deeply being able to make an emotional connection and then influence broader swaths of people. And, and that sounds like we, we're going to talk about it later, your Asian American uh, Leadership Accelerator. You have a six-week course around that. So as a, as a large part of that, of, of helping people quickly make that connection uh, with those around them? Part of it is. I think that part of it is also just learning what are the unwritten rules. You know, for those of us who were born into, like, dominant majority society, right, in America, because American society is actually quite weird in certain ways in that it is so heavily focused on conveying that sense of confidence and so heavily focused on connection and influence. That's actually quite unusual in societies around the world. In other societies, like around Asia and in, in other areas of the world, all other societies are less focused on individualism and having to convey that sense of confident optimism and connection and influence. That's actually quite unusual among societies. It's just that it turns out that these specific cultures, American cultures, Western cultures, now tend to dominate global companies. And therefore, that means that many, you know, if you grew up in mainstream American society as a kid, you start to learn these particular skills of 
public speaking, of you know, show and tell. Yep. You know, we start learning this when we're in preschool in America and learning how to make a friend and be a friend. But if you grew up in other parts of the world, like in Asia and China, you study, study, study. You know, you spend, you see what those kids are doing. So many of us, you know, I think in American society, oftentimes we say things like, oh, Asians lack social skills. They're so passive. It's not that Asians lack social skills. Asians have social skills, but they're social skills that are optimized for other societies. And so, so I think for those of us who didn't grow up in majority mainstream culture, there's this extra layer of information that, that would be super beneficial for us to have so that we know what are the rules that we're playing under if we want to succeed and, you know, move up or even be entrepreneurs in America. Yeah, that's a very interesting way of, of, of looking and, and framing that and, and brings up this really important point about understanding the context that you operate in, which brings me to your, your career, which you then shift you're Chinese, Chinese-American, grew up in the States, the banana that we talked about, and then you go over to China. So this is interesting, the, the context of China. And tell us a little bit about that. I mean, your career also took off in China. I think you wrote, or I may be paraphrasing here, that it was like coming home, but of, of course, you're now almost very American going over to a Chinese context. Tell us about yeah. that period of your, of your life and your career. Yeah, so when I was um, an executive search consultant, um, this was in like 2005 to nine, and I started a blog on the unwritten rules of the game. And I made it specifically for Chinese study abroad students. There were more and more Chinese studying at US colleges and universities at the time. And WordPress was taking off. This is when blogs and yeah. the internet was free and blogs were free. It's a different time. So I started a blog on the unwritten rules of the game. And they, some Chinese grad students at USC and UCLA translated into Chinese and started putting on the Chinese social media at the time. It's called Renrenwang at the time. So this is before the current group of Chinese um, social media companies. And that blog went viral. And that blog became the number one career resource for Chinese study abroad students around the world. Now, there also was no other career resource serving them. So, you know, it was probably the best and the worst. But then a publisher in China reached out and they said, the number one social topic in China right now is a topic of leftover women, who are women who are 27 and up and um, still not married. And the market desperately needs a book to encourage leftover women. And we spent a year looking in China for someone to write this book. And we've decided that that person doesn't live in China, that person is you. Because mm. I had mentioned on my blog that I'd gotten married at 38 and had kids at 39 and 41. So at first I was like, you know, I'm Chinese American. My Chinese isn't that great. How can I write this book? But then I put one blog post on my careers blog saying, do not marry before age 30. And that blog went crazy, mm. not just outside of China, but in China. Huh. And the next day my servers crashed. And I said, oh, well, maybe I, I should do this. So I spent a year writing a book called Do Not Marry Before Age 30. As you said, and I followed up with a second book called Sanchezay Tensure Away, How to Get Lucky in Your Career. And that launched me on a new career in China as leading a global leadership training company based in Beijing. Um, so we had millions of followers, consumers of our books, um, courses, social media, all about how to become a global talent. 
But then trade war happened, the pandemic, and I had to shut all that down. I returned to the States, and here I am, kind of doing the same thing, global leadership training, multicultural leadership training for Americans now. So you have this deep sense of purpose of, of many of the things you've done, which, which very much translate into what you do now. And as I was looking at your career, you know, in my book, I look at kind of the evidence of how people rise and... and I kind of overlaid yours on it, you know, because I talk about the strong interpersonal skills, networking and being networked, visibility and brand, presence, communication, and then leveraging resources. And you really embodied uh, these principles, which one made me feel good. There's a validation there. But, you know, <laughs> as you kind of look back, and is there any piece that, you know, we're missing here that really kind of also helped you? Or do those cover the, the big pieces? You know, I would say there's one thing that I have been doing is I've always been trying to find a way to give value into the world for free. Mm. And that's something that I that I created in China. You know, they always everyone's English is quite poor in speaking, but their reading and writing is quite good. And there's this funny thing and funny quirk in Chinese society is that they use a lot of American acronyms that we don't even really use. And um, so, for example, I, I created um, a framework that became quite famous in China called UAF. Hmm. Do things that are useful, amazing, and free. So in my 20s, I, was, I moved to L.A. and I didn't know anyone. And um, I started volunteering on political campaigns. So I was an L.A. County young Democrat. And there were all kinds of political campaigns happening all the time for the city, the county, the state. And they always needed volunteers, Right. Licking stamps. This is, you know, before the before the internet got really big. Licking stamps, walking door to door, phone banking, and I started doing that. And um, I met a lot of people doing that. And since then, I've always been finding ways to volunteer and create things that are free, but that are really high quality, like the blog yep. that I made. Right. Uh, so basically, all this volunteering got me onto a, the Housing Authority Commission of Los Angeles, which looks over the Housing Authority, which looks over like our affordable housing. And the Housing Authority had seven people. You know, six of them were VIPs, people who donated a lot to campaigns, and, but they needed somebody to be a worker bee. And so that was me, you know, and I really worked. I was a real estate developer at a time. And I did a lot of, you know, we tore, tore down all this old affordable housing and put up beautiful new green stuff. And then somebody had seen my work there and recommended me to the mayor to be deputy mayor. Like that was a crazy, ridiculous stroke of luck, right? So by now, I've worked at the top of three industries on three continents. And the crazy thing is I never applied for any of those jobs. Mm. They all came to they me. They came to you. They all, I was always invited. And isn't it nice to be invited? Like, you know, we're, we like to be, I like to be invited. Isn't, that, isn't it better that way? And the crazy thing is like, I, so I feel looking back, I think this UAF thing has been, it causes me to suck in new opportunities mm. on a continuous basis, right? So whether it was, you know, becoming CEO headhunter, people saw the things that I was doing as deputy mayor, of course, that was quite visible. But then the opportunity to go to China, I created this blog. And then I was going around UCLA, USC, volunteering, giving free career seminars, and that pushed the blog out, that motivated people. So I think that 
all of the opportunities that I've had have been not putting out useful, amazing, and free. Free guide to the unwritten rules of the game. I'm about to post that on, on my website. People can sign up for it if they want. So my whole life has been getting invited to opportunities because what happens is people assume, you know, I tell people to do useful and amazing and free things. Figure out how to do things that you enjoy doing that are of service to others for free. And then, you know, like in China, my fans or followers would be like, well, why would I do it for free if what I'm doing is really valuable? Why shouldn't I get paid for that? And I say, well, because what you're getting in return is way more valuable than money. Because people in our world are primed to assume that free things are gross or they're, you know, there's a catch or there's, um, you know, or they're bad, low quality, right? People are primed to assume that expensive things are high quality. Free things must be shitty quality. But um, when you do something that is incredibly high quality, that comes from your passion, and that really serves people, what happens is people are like, oh my God, look at this. And then they pass it on to their friends. And you suddenly get this army of people who are selling you <laughs> or you know, marketing you. And then... Then somebody like two, three steps removed from you is like, oh, wow, look at this cool thing. I've got a need that I need solved and this person might be able to solve it. So then they come and they find me yeah. and they're like, what do you think about this? And it could be out of left field. But the great thing is that I found, you know, some of them are like, you know, like, no, I don't want to do that. But some of them could be perfect. And there are opportunities, at least in my case, that I never would have imagined right? But it's like, wow, that is perfect. Because it was born out of something that I gave away out of my passion. So I haven't written down this UAF thing in English yet, but that really, I would say, has been a real secret sauce in my career. Let me ask you a question on that, because I, I you know, hear this from a lot of clients and people out there, particularly Asian Americans, who talk about in their organization, hey, I provide all this stuff, I create a lot of value because I did a lot of this work, and then someone else stole it, and they got promoted because of it. Yeah. And so what's, what's the piece there that, that, that they need to take care of or they need to be careful of? That is such a great question. I think especially now we're seeing so many, like companies are investing billions in recruiting new people in, but then they have to create inclusion, right? And a lot of them, if you look on the websites, they really tout their ERGs, but then they don't, their ERGs are who? They're volunteers. And then a lot of, you know, I come across a lot of ERG employee resource group leaders, like the Asian employee resource group, veterans employee resource group, who end up doing a lot of unpaid housework, right? You create a lot of events. Yes. It's on top of your day job. You're not getting paid for it. And you get burned out. So I think you ask a really important question. You can do a lot of UAF that doesn't result in lucky new opportunities coming, right? So um, I think if I were to boil that down, I would say, number one, the UAF that I've been doing has not been UAF that other people have asked me to do. Like, would you like to plan these events or would you like to take over this unpaid housework? I think, first of all, we should all be very wary about unpaid housework because mm. you can really get stuck doing a whole lot of work that's not actually strategic to the company and to the higher-ups. And 
you know, that's not good for your career at all. I would say the difference between that and the UAF I've been doing is that the UAF I've been doing has started from my heart, started from my doing things that I just like to do. I like to write. That's why I started a blog, right? So totally started by me and me figuring out an intersection between what I like to do and where there's a gap, a need in the world that no one else is doing. Was my blog the best career resource in the world? Like probably for Chinese, it could have been the worst, but there was no one else doing it, right? And I think one thing is I was working, I've been working at intersections of different worlds where there's been very little competition. And so the bar has been a lot lower for me to add value and I can fumble around a bit. I sometimes look back at my early blog posts and I actually deleted a bunch of my early blog posts because I was embarrassed. I was like, this is embarrassing. It's not good. What I'm doing now is a lot better, right? So you don't actually have to do such amazing work if you're working at intersect- lonely intersections where no one else is. So if you can kind of figure out some ways that you can contribute value that no one else is doing, there's like white spaces in the world. There's so many problems in our world that need solving. And these are ways that we can grow as leaders before we're appointed leaders. This is such tremendous advice, UAF, intersections and fulfilling needs. Joy, we covered growing up as a Chinese American in the U.S., how top leaders are selected in America, and how you rose to the top of three industries by putting high-quality, highly needed free content into the world. Useful, amazing, and free, UAF. Indeed, it feels like we are just getting started in our conversation, but we're running out of time. Let's continue next week and focus on your work with the Multicultural Leadership Institute, the MLI. We'll look at the work you do in two core areas, helping Asians and Asian Americans crack the code to rising in corporate America through your accelerator, and the speaking work you do with C-suites and boards of Fortune 50 companies, helping them enable leadership for all. Joy Chen, CEO of the Multicultural Leadership Institute, the MLI. Joy, I will put all these things in the show notes. Lots of UAF, great resources for AMU, and a fantastic discussion. Anything else you want to call out or to make sure that people can reach out or connect to your work? Other than that, um, Michael, it's been a delight to speak with you. I can tell you and I have just gotten to know each other in the last couple of months, but I can tell through your work, your book, the kind of UAF that you're putting out in the world through this podcast and through your social media that, you know, you're a, you know, as I said, when you first reached out to me, like, wow, it seems like you and I have walked in a lot of the same circles, had a lot of the same life experiences. And I'm really amazed and impressed and inspired by how you have pulled together everything that you've done until now and use that to create ever greater value in the world. So thank you for your inspiration and example. Well, thank you. And together, we are all more powerful and we're forming a better world and a better place, better organizations and helping good people get ahead. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective. 
where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.